0: welcome to season two of a new voice of freedom the podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of christianity written by ronald keith messer podcast 77 is entitled consciousness the great scientist mr stephen Hawking, in his book the grand design observed it is hard to imagine how free will can operate if our behavior is determined by physical law So it seems that we are no more than biological machines and that free will is just an illusion, I am a huge fan of Mr. Hawking. I have read his books over and over and am amazed by his scientific knowledge. However, in the above, regarding free will, Mr. Hawking is drawing his conclusion from one of the greatest scientific fallacies. We are no more than biological machines. If the analogy were correct, then Mr. Hawking's conclusions would be accurate. But we are far more than biological machines. We have a soul, meaning we have both a body and a spirit. The body dies, but the spirit is immortal. Let me point out that science is paradigm-driven. They are locked into a single view of the universe, and that view includes unprovable opinions. There is no God. There is no intelligent design. Everything has a beginning and an ending. It is from those three false assumptions that they conclude that we live in an accidental universe, that we do not have free will, and that we will end in a giant heat death. The great false analogy of physical science is that man is a machine. The great false analogy of biological science is that man is an animal. We have machine-like characteristics, and we have animal-like characteristics. A false analogy, however, occurs when you carry the comparison too far. We are all, in a sense, paradigm-driven, whether scientists or non-scientists, atheists or theists, Christians or non-Christians. Science builds its universe or paradigm on observation. Christians build their universe or paradigm on faith. Neither science nor religion can prove or disprove the existence of God. It is a fallacy, for example, for science to say, I cannot see God, therefore God does not exist. But it is also a fallacy for Christians to say, I believe in God, therefore God exists. Christians, however, have several advantages. One, the Holy Ghost bears witness of truth. No one can have a testimony of Jesus Christ unless the Holy Ghost bears witness of him in their heart. The scientific community does not understand that, but Christians do. God deliberately hides his face so that we can develop faith and exercise free will. Two, the evidence is on the side of the Christian paradigm. The entire universe suggests intelligent design. The existence of earth and man and law suggest intelligent design. And three, we do make our decisions. Therefore, we have free will. We use the laws of nature to exercise that free will. Free will is transparently obvious in all of us. Contrary to what science tells us, I suspect that the majority of humans inherently know they have free will. Simply look at the variety on the earth. No two people are alike. It is science that is in the awkward position of explaining away the obvious existence of God, intelligent design, and free will. Science is always looking for the holy grail that will explain everything. Meanwhile, the substitute for that holy grail is accident, a very poor substitute. In this podcast, I want to explain why we are more than biological machines, and thus why we have free will. It is only the spirit that is conscious. Man has consciousness, not machines. The body of man, however, is a biological machine. The brain is part of that machine. The body of man does not have consciousness. Hence, the body does not have free will. Only the spirit or soul of man has consciousness. Therefore, Only the spirit has free will. The purpose of the body is to help the spirit expand its consciousness. First, let me present a paradox. Scientists are not nearly as perceptive as they think they are. Rather than denying God, they could use God to prove man does not have free will. Blasphemy, you say? Not at all. The problem is in the first cause. Assuming that God exists, if God is first cause of everything else, Then he is the puppet master of everything he creates. No matter what the appearance, we would still be entirely governed by a superintelligence, no matter how benign that superintelligence may be. Three things cannot be created, or free will cannot exist. Number one, will itself, or consciousness, or whatever you want to call it, must self exist. Two, potential must self exist, for the one who sets the potential also sets the boundaries three intelligence must self-exist for the one who controls intelligence also controls free will there is a fourth one opposition must self-exist or there can be no life but that is beyond the scope of this podcast if we have a first cause then god must have a first cause which leads into the inevitable paradox what is that first cause there can be none Self-existence is the only explanation for life to exist. Form is the product of law, but essence isn't. It follows that intelligence self-exists and God is the greatest intelligence. Put it on the same level as matter and energy. That too must self-exist, all because something cannot come from nothing. Mortal things are made of mortal matter. The intelligence of man, or that which is conscious, must self-exist, or free will makes no sense. A will that is created can never really be free. The Creator would set the boundaries. God has always existed as an intelligence. Or how can the existence of God be accounted for? God is the highest form of intelligence. There can be no higher. That is why we call him omniscient. That means that he is conscious of everything all the time. The exercise of that superconsciousness gives him all power. That is why we call him omnipotent. His laws fill all organized space. That is why we call him omnipresent. Those superlatives define God. We are in the image and likeness of God. He created our spirit, and he created our physical body. Immortal things are made of immortal matter. But our self-existing consciousness or intelligence is the seat of will. Will self-exist. However, will cannot be free unless liberated by law. God gave us laws to liberate our will. Law may be obeyed or disobeyed, therefore we have free will. Whereas the seed of will is our own, we owe our free will to God. We may choose to obey the laws of God or not to obey the laws of God, therefore we choose how much free will we shall have. It is the laws of God that set our self-existing will free. God did not create our consciousness or our will, which is also made of self-existent matter. However, God did create our spirit bodies in His image and our physical bodies after His likeness to expand our consciousness and our free will. Everything God created, He created to help us to become like Jesus Christ, the Creator of all things. There is nothing higher. The thing that sets Jesus Christ apart is that He obeyed all the commandments of God perfectly. Therefore, he became like his Father. If we obey the laws of Christ perfectly, we will become like the Son. Obviously, we cannot perfect ourselves. Therefore, the atonement was necessary. It must follow, then, that we were also intelligences, conscious beings that have always existed. It is transparently obvious that we are not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. In fact, the comparison is ludicrous. Therefore, where do we fit in all of this? Everything is made of matter, which also self-exists, or it violates the law that something can never come from nothing. If something cannot come from nothing, it means that something cannot be made from nothing. It would be a self-contradiction. What do Christians mean, then, when we say that God is the Father of our spirits? It means what it says. God is the literal Father of our spirits. God is immortal, therefore our spirits are immortal. We have his genes in us. We inherited his traits. That is what it means to be a child of God. We have the pattern on earth. We inherit the traits of our earthly parents. Animals inherit the traits of their parents. God created our immortal spirits in his image to house our self-existent intelligence or consciousness. He did that to expand our consciousness, or in other words, to expand our intelligence. Why did he create our spirits in his image? What other model is there? That is what separates us from all animals and all other creations. We are the only ones who have the image and likeness of God. He gave us His image because just as God is higher than man in intelligence, we are higher than all known animals in intelligence. Above the animals, because we are children of God, we have the unlimited capacity to increase in intelligence. We are the only life forms that can comprehend God because we are the only forms that are made in the image of God. Even with our superior intelligence over the animals, without being created in the image and likeness of God, we would never be able to fully comprehend God. The entire purpose of life on earth is to help us to become more like God. God is our model. He wants us to be like Him. He is omniscient. He wants us to be omniscient. Only by having a spirit body in His image can He put us on the path of eternal progression. The end goal is omniscience. John the Beloved understood that when he said, quote, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 1 John 3 2 3. Given our spirit body in the image of God, our physical body after the likeness of God, how does that expand our consciousness? I will offer six ways. Number one, God gave us law. Law expands our consciousness. I should say obedience to law expands our consciousness. God is the great lawgiver. All laws were organized by God to expand our consciousness. In other words, to expand our free will. Laws also establish boundaries. That is why God moves us from one sphere to another. Each sphere has a higher set of laws acting independently so that our agency is preserved. Just as within our spirit bodies we could not comprehend what it was like to live in heaven with God, without our physical bodies we could not comprehend what it is like to live on earth. Number two, we have sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, and feel. We connect to the world through our senses. Number four, we have an amazing brain whose capacity cannot even be measured. We only use a fraction of it. With our mind, we can comprehend the mysteries. We have the use of logic, inductive and deductive reasoning, mathematics, analogy, language, and so on. Number four, we have a heart that feels that which we cannot see and understands that which the mind cannot communicate. It is through the heart that we gain wisdom, that we feel the Holy Ghost, that we know that God exists. Number five, and in this marvelous body of ours, we have an immortal soul that houses our internal intelligence. Spirit can communicate with Spirit, and Spirit gives us free will. And number six, add to the above inspiration, intuition, revelation, visions, dreams, the Holy Scriptures, and spiritual experiences and insights that cannot be explained away in human terms. All of these are given to us to increase our consciousness. The prophet said it this way, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Proverbs 4.18 It is just the opposite with those who turn against God and deliberately break His commandments. Proverbs continues, The way of the wicked is darkness, they know not at what they stumble. Light begets light, but contrariwise, darkness begets darkness. A light that can grow brighter can also grow dimmer, if not continually fed with the light of Christ, which is truth. Ask yourself, where else is there to go but from light to greater light, or from darkness to greater darkness? We do live forever, all of us. There has never been a time when we haven't existed in one form or another. Time would hang awfully heavily if there were no progression. Mark Twain, America's sweetheart, followed the adventures of Captain Stormfield into heaven. When time started hanging heavy on Stormfield, as he had spent hours playing a single tune on his harp, sitting on a cloud. His friend, St. Bartlett, who had been to heaven a long time before him, informed him, Now, you just remember this. Heaven is as blissful and lovely as it can be but it's just the busiest place you ever heard of. There ain't any idle people here after the first day. Singing hymns and waving palm branches for all eternity is pretty when you hear about it in the pulpit, but it's a poor way to put in valuable time as a body could contrive. It would just make a heaven of warbling ignoramuses, don't you see? Eternal rest sounds comforting in the pulpit, too. Well, you try it once and see how heavy time will hang on your hands. Why, Stormfield, a man like you that had been active and stirring all his life would go mad in six months in a heaven where he hadn't anything to do. Heaven is the very last place you come to rest in, and don't you be afraid to bet on that. All living creatures have a consciousness of some sort. Consciousness cannot be created, but it can be expanded. Without our body, we cannot have a fullness of joy. That explains why the resurrection is necessary. Only a resurrected, immortal body can have a fullness of joy. I speak of spheres. Jude refers to them as estates. Each estate has a complete set of laws. The first estate was the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, where we lived as spirits in the image of God. Jude tells us, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Jude 1.6 The angels who did not keep their first estate were Lucifer and his angels. They left their habitation, meaning they were cast out of heaven or the spirit world, and came to earth to tempt man. One of their curses was that although God gave them their spirit body, God would not give them a physical body it could be argued that that was the greatest curse of all. The second curse was that they would end up in everlasting chains. John the Revelator also refers to the chains that bind Satan. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Revelation twenty one 1-3 After the little season, Satan and his angels will be bound forever. They are sons of perdition. Chains are a metaphor for being damned. They will live eternally without power and without progression. For a spirit with the pride of Lucifer, that would be eternal hell. God is the Father of our spirits. He is called the Father of lights. We were the lights. We were taught by God how to become like God. Otherwise, what was the point? The second estate implied by Jude is earth. We are now living in our second estate. In the eternal scheme of things, progression means to increase in consciousness. That's why we move from one estate to another. The ability to expand consciousness is the only real measure of intelligence. Consciousness is a product of intelligence, not man-measured IQ. God has given us laws which create order out of chaos. Through inductive and deductive reasoning, we can discover that order and harness that energy. But knowledge without wisdom can lead to self-destruction. Not only do we need to understand cause and effect in the temporal world, But we must also understand cause and effect in the spiritual world. Our temporal freedom is dependent upon temporal laws, but our spiritual freedom is dependent upon spiritual laws. Our pleasures may come from temporal knowledge. However, happiness and joy can only come from moral alliance with the higher laws of God. Accidents occur in the temporal world when we ignore the laws of nature that we loosely call tragedy. But true misery comes when we violate the laws of God. All of which were designed to increase our intelligence, to raise our consciousness, to expand our knowledge, and therefore to increase our joy. All of this leads to truth, and to have all truth leads to omniscience. Christ said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He is talking about freedom in this world, and eternal freedom in the next. Now, try to imagine having all truth. That would mean all freedom. You would increase in knowledge, truth, wisdom, understanding, comprehension, and light. Only then could you be able to handle power righteously, and only then would you be entrusted with full power. The end of everything is to attain a fullness of light, a fullness of truth, a fullness of knowledge, a fullness of wisdom, a fullness of power, a fullness of glory, and a fullness of joy. Anything less in the vast, unfathomable world of eternity would be a kind of damnation. Damnation means an end of progression. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.